1: Final step for those best ball teams to see if they advance to the Mega Money Finals is what happened this week in NFL Week 16. And we had some major performances that will have swung glory for some teams to make those finals. And we'll have some performances maybe that did not help those teams advance. But Sean, we had a team, we talked about it last week, the Superflex team. We're going to hold it off though for a show later in the week. But spoiler alert, team absolutely smashed this week, even with... Baker Mayfield being the one quarterback in that super flex format so we'll touch on some of the players as we go through today but we'll talk a little bit more previewing our attempt in that I believe it's a 33-man final Sean to to take down that $10,000 top prize over the FFPC but lots of interesting games this week the weather was a concern heading into it some of the games really affected by the weather some of the games not affected at all and we've seen big big fantasy football performances how did you feel this week and I'm going to start off by wishing Sean a belated happy Christmas here. We're recording this on the 26th. We did record two shows last week back to back for the later in the week edition. Because we did that back to back, I completely slipped my mind to wish people a happy holiday season. So happy Christmas to those who celebrate, happy holidays to those who don't. I hope you all have had a good weekend watching the NFL. Even uh my Green Bay Packers Sean getting a, a W as they hunt down the playoff spots. How are you feeling after NFL week 16? Of course. Monday Night Football, the only one left to to roll this week. Yeah, you say hunt down those playoff spots.
2: The Detroit Lions really epically collapsed this week in their Battle of the Big Cats. Keep the Carolina (laughs) Panthers alive as they try to win the AFC South. Chuba Hubbard, Deontay Foreman, even Blackshear getting in there for the touchdown. He likes to kind of spoil their massive lines by vulturing those scores. The Carolina Panthers now rolling after they replaced coaches midseason. Colin, the number one thing that jumped out to me this week is that <laughs> the Denver Broncos should have also changed coaches midseason. You only needed a couple of games to know you'd made a massive mistake there. I'm a little surprised how those folks are still employed it probably would also help their careers the sooner they're fired if they've been fired a week ago you wouldn't have that rams game on the ledger when you're seeking your next job bs column merry christmas observed to everyone who is lucky enough to have today off because of the way the christmas calendar fell this year obviously happy holidays to all of the listeners so many great things to celebrate out there column We got football on Christmas Eve, football on Christmas. You had Thursday. You've got Monday night. It's just wall-to-wall NFL. And the mix was interesting this week because we had some games where teams appeared to be playing on the surface of some ice planet. And you have these other games in the nice, beautiful domes where teams have decided to invest in a playing atmosphere in which you can play actual football. And you get some shootouts. You get massive scores from players on the Minnesota Vikings, on the Philadelphia Eagles. Those teams pushing, obviously, many fantasy managers to the finals. This was fantasy semifinal week. If you get through this week, then you have a chance to take down your championship. As you mentioned, you have best ball and so many cool developments there. We'll get to some of those a little bit later in the week, but Connor O'Driscoll has a couple teams into the regular best ball finals as he tries to go back to back yeah this was fun I mean it it was hard I think if you had a Jalen Hurts team this week and especially if you weren't able to add Minshew Minshew goes out and actually puts together a performance that's going to give you fairly similar points but one of the things that kind of played out is just you have this injury gauntlet throughout the course of the season guys continue to go down continue to go down even in this most Recent weekend, some sort of niche players who might have really been doing something for you. You and I were fortunate enough that we didn't need Christian Watson's points when it looked like he might put up a 20-25 point game. He goes out at halftime. Monty Fawn and I are battling in a dynasty league where we really needed him to play a full game. But the quarterback situation, I think, is so exaggerated because you have guys like Lamar Jackson, you have guys like Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler goes down relatively close to the end when his team was starting to get healthy. You might have been able to make a real push with him. Obviously, Lamar Jackson has been injured in the back end of multiple seasons now, obviously taking all of those fantasy managers out, or most of them. But the main two guys, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, they get through. They don't have huge games, but because each of them score a rushing touchdown late, they're able to put together overall performances that are still in the general universe, let's say, of their normal scoring. Some other guys did put up some performances this week, but it's the Scoring from the top QEs really combined with all of the injuries. If you don't have all of those injuries, then there are actually quite a few paths for an individual guy to outperform to take some of his receivers with him or to use his legs, have that Konami code upside, put all the points together, and then you have a little bit more balanced scoring over the course of the season and have more guys who could be weapons at the end. Unfortunately, injuries have robbed us of that. That will be a big story over the offseason. But Colin, kind of jumping in with the Big headline game of the week. The Philadelphia Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys. This is one of the best games you'll ever see. A lot of back and forth. C.D. Lamb, I think, really finally cements himself in that top echelon of wide receivers. We've talked about his inconsistency. And the inconsistency isn't an issue specifically because of inconsistency. Inconsistency is an issue because those duds lower your overall yearly score. So you're talking about annual scoring, right? But he has a huge game here. Dak Prescott leads his team back from the brink multiple times. Gardner Minshew, a fantastic game. And we continue now to see the rise of Devontae Smith. He's someone that we drafted on a lot of teams. Also, obviously, have plenty of exposure to A.J. Brown. It's a tricky situation when you have a team that can be run heavy and you have a run-oriented QB. But this Eagles offense has created so many points that that's working out. But the play specifically on talent – has paid off now you have Dallas Goddard come back in this game I mean he stole some targets very clearly from Brown and Smith and so you have a little bit of that frustration if you're playing those two guys that man if we could just get it concentrated on two we would be all set just give us two as opposed to three but in the end I mean AJ Brown doesn't give you the type of game you needed to win tournaments and maybe to get through but still an excellent performance from him Devontae Smith I mean he looks now sort of like he looked during his Heisman season these Philadelphia Eagles, even in the loss, so many weapons.
1: Yeah. And you even mentioned Goddard been in there. I actually think having him in there potentially in some of these games, it might lessen the overall target share for Smith and Brian. But the one thing that he does is he is a terrific tight end that has to be accounted for by the defense, which is likely going to change some of the coverages against the other two guys who you just cannot cover. And uh, Devontae Smith has looked fantastic and set, you know, when he gets the targets, I think he's going to look fantastic. But some of the plays he made this week with his 8 for 113 yards, two-touchdown performance was excellent. And you mentioned Brown. Still going to get you 16 points in PPR formats. But, again, I thought he looked really good. And this team with Gardner Minshew at quarterback continued to, to look as good as they have. But they came up against the Dallas Cowboys team in this game which just like you know blow for blow I think was the phrase you mentioned there but this was a game that was uh, 17 20 at the half and they just both teams continued to to pour it on there was multiple times where it looked like the Eagles were going to to jump ahead the Cowboys come back into it and C.D. Lamb Sean you mentioned he is now on pace through you know the opening portion of his career the way is now led by Justin Jefferson and we've seen some fantastic uh, players through their first 50 NFL games but if he has you know I think it's around about 270 yards over the next two games which is obviously a huge side but he he could potentially get into the top five all time through his his opening 50 games here at the pace that he has set in terms of receiving yards so it has been up and down at times for him but I also think things like play calling has not really gone his way hasn't got the share of targets he probably deserved when it was him and Amari Cooper there but looked really good here 120 yards in those 10 receptions and, and two touchdowns and actually outshines Devontae smith he probably is going to get a lot more of the talk here based on the expectations heading into the season between those two players and the feeling that lamb may have slightly disappointed on what people were expecting from him uh, but overall fantastic game both teams there's some of these games sean when they start particularly in the dome and you're hoping in those that first quarter we see one or two touchdowns and it kind of lights the the touch paper and we're, we're off with the score and there's other games then where you see you know it's it's three zero 0 at the end of the first quarter and you're like well this isn't living up to the expectations but 74 points there the other thing you mentioned was the weather conditions it's amazing that if a, a team invests in the dome it actually leads to a better quality product on the field which probably in the long run is going to help the nfl here is the you know point scoring and, and things like that people want to watch more off those games the other ones that you mentioned that weren't expecting the, the point scoring maybe heading into it but the detroit lions did slip up this week they lose 37 23 the denver broncos you mentioned got absolutely shellacked by the the rams and a 51 14 blowout in that one but the reason i want to mention these games is you mentioned foreman and hubbard john this was a game where 43 rush attempts for the carolina panthers 320 yards on the ground and three touchdowns combined two of those touchdowns will going to blackshear and to sam darnold but hubbard and Devonte for or dante foreman both going over 120 yards, 165 yards and a touchdown for Foreman in this one. The other side then is Cam Akers gets 118 yards, three touchdowns and 23 carries. When we're looking ahead and the Cam Akers situation is a, a weird one because the team really wanted no part of him. It felt like at one point of the season and, and now he's gone on to have this huge performance and, and something that's not really going to matter in the long term for the Rams. But I mentioned those three running backs. Obviously, the the Panthers moved on and and traded Christian McCaffrey. But is there any of those three guys that that you think should be somewhat of a priority target heading into 2023 based on what we've seen in a couple of these late-season games? Well, you mentioned the Panthers there and the finals. But in the first three or four carries
2: for both Hubbard and Foreman, you're getting to 70 yards because the blocking here just – Absolutely. They, slice through. they were sliced oh, just the, the combination, and one of the things, if you go to the advanced stat explorer at the team level one, you see that the Detroit Lions don't grade particularly well in most of the metrics, and yet from a fantasy perspective, they've been utterly dominant against the running back position over the last month to six games. It's one of the reasons why the teams going against them aren't going to look as good in the game level similarity projections in the strength of schedule streamer. Those types of tools really emphasize the most recent stretch of approximately six games because those games are the most predictive going forward. Partly what's happened here is a little bit of touchdown luck for the Lions on the defensive side. Part of it is that teams can pass and move the ball through the air so easily against them that they don't have to run the ball. And then part of it is that their run defense actually improves up. So you look at those three things. Well, the Carolina Panthers are a very different team. You have Sam Darnold, you're not going to be able to pass the ball effectively, at least not. At a volume level, he was successful in this game. He did the things that he can do. He showed his mobility as well, scores a rushing touchdown. He got the ball to DJ Moore. This is actually now turning into a decent little end of the season for Moore. Again, not something that's going to redeem what happened through most of the year, but enough to pull you back in for the 2023 season. We'll Just see when if you cool. thought
1: you were out. Just when <laughs> you thought you were out.
2: Yeah, I mean, DJ Moore looks absolutely fantastic. This is a, a great game all around, but The blocking from this Carolina Panthers line and then the vision and the burst. And one of the things that we constantly mention on the show, not because it's going to make them superstars and not because you're going to get this kind of performance all the time, especially when you're in a timeshare in a bad offense, but Hubbard and Foreman, two of the most explosive backs in the NFL. Two guys who, because of their paths and not being consistently good throughout. I mean, the guys who are consistently good from their freshman year in college all the way through into the NFL and don't have these big stumbles, they end up being more expensive. They end up being starters. You don't have a lot of questions about them. Hubbard and Foreman, you have those questions because of the downturns that they've taken throughout the course of their career. Hubbard, somebody who had a big chance last year when Christian McCaffrey was down, wasn't able to take advantage of it. But then if you look at his numbers in the advanced stat or this year, you see him making these huge jumps in terms of before contact results. You and I talk about that some because the before contact should be given a lot more credit to the runners than usually is. You have the force miss tackles element. You have the vision element and you have the long speed element because part of what you're getting with the yards before contact will be the long plays where a guy was able to get through the hole, but then have the speed to take it. We saw that for both backs here. Foreman, a guy who had all kinds of problems, both from a personality perspective and from an injury perspective that limited him. But when he came out of college, he graded unbelievably well. And you can see both of those guys playing at that level now. I think that you have to be excited about it. And it seems like Hubbard especially probably has a route to a real role in a solid offense next season to where... I mean, maybe he could be that league winner where people have questions about what's the volume going to be, how good is the offense going to be, maybe a late dead zone back. It depends on how it works out. There's still plenty of paths where he'll be a 16th, 17th round pick next year. But I think that he's very exciting. And then you mentioned Cam Akers. And I think this is a good story, right? Because there aren't that many times, as you mentioned, where a player appears to be firmly on the outs. His team is so down on him that they're basically saying, anybody take him off our hands. I really thought it would have made sense for the Kansas City Chiefs to go out and get him a handful of other teams. Obviously, I mean, you're the Houston Texans. What did you have to lose? I mean, the Texans win this week against Tennessee, but you have holes everywhere. I mean, Damian Pierce can't be the only thing that you've put together for your entire team going into 2023, right? Get yourself some depth and go out there, put up some points. You can trade one of these guys later on if it works out. I think that taking the risk there would have made sense for some teams, especially before the injury and before all of the stuff that kind of came up that is probably personality conflict types of things. I mean, you go and you look again in the team advanced stats explorer and you see that the blocking for the Rams has been excruciatingly bad. Now, a little bit of that's going to reflect back on the running back because the running back makes the Blockers either look good or bad by how well he reads the blocks, how quickly he gets hits the line. When there are holes, do you make a big run out of it? When there aren't holes, do you make a first guy miss? And so the blocker who messed up doesn't get a huge amount of the blame there. This is a symbiotic relationship, right? And the running back can make the blockers look a lot worse. One of the things I always thought was interesting, you would have these stretches for Kansas City where Jamal Charles was out and suddenly the blockers get rated as being mediocre to absolutely poor. When he's in there, they rate as a top five blocking unit like, yeah, I mean, one guy is unbelievable at making what his blockers do well. Because you're going to have strengths and weaknesses. And I'm not saying that there aren't real differences in blocking units. There are. It's one of the reasons why the Rams backs have struggled. But if you can make your guys look better, I mean, that helps in both directions. But it also is the case where the blocking hasn't been great. I mean, he's (laughs) letting Sean McVay know, not necessarily directly, but just I may have terrible numbers before contact, after contact, all of these kinds of things. If I'm encountering multiple defensive penetrations in the backfield on most of my carries, I'm not going to look good, coach. I mean, people don't want to hear that, though, right? I mean, you have to have these guys pulling in one direction. He appears to have come back and is doing that. He has a little chance now, and he's getting back to looking like he looked before the injury. And unlike someone like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who I don't think is a great buy low in part because if the Chiefs have moved on from you, I mean, you're going to get another shot, but it's going to be in a bad situation. You start to, I mean, he's more or less, you know, Benjamin. So you start to take that route where you move from team to team and, you know, you might get a little bit of a chance here and there, but Akers has been good in multiple different timeframes. He was a better prospect coming in as a solid prospect, not an elite prospect, but a good, but he's someone now who is interesting and, it never really worked in my particular leagues to buy him when he was low, but that was something that we talked about on the site from time to time, which is that, I mean, don't go out and get like 100% exposure to Cam Akers, but you want to be buying when you can. I don't wouldn't say that window has closed because you score against the Denver Broncos team with Baker Mayfield, at quarterback. I mean, this is going to be just a complete throw it out game for most people and for good reason. And yet, I mean, Acres is someone that I think you do want to have exposure to in the future.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: we're going to move into our win bet segment of today's show sean it is going to be bounce back related and i think it's going to be a fun question. two players we haven't talked a huge amount about on the show this season so i'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on that but you can sign up today to receive a special sports offer bet $100 to win $100 download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning sean the it's going to be pairing these two games together we have The the Rams is going to be one of the subjects here. The other one is going to be the San Francisco 49ers. But we get the Washington Commanders losing their 7-7-1 now in the season. The the 49ers continue to look fantastic on defense, and they're getting the job done on offense. Brock Purdy continues to to keep things moving here in this game. My question, Sean, I want to... The bounce back one, let's get to that first. George Kittle has six for 120 and two touchdowns in this game. Over the last two games, he's gone six of eight targets for 120 and two touchdowns. Before that, he had four receptions, 93 yards, and two touchdowns. We didn't see a huge amount of George Kittle throughout the opening kind of 13-14 weeks of the season. But is it a case that he's been sparked into life by the quarterback change? Is there any other reason for it? The other part I was going to ask is Tyler Higby again was that said mr irrelevant he may have actually been mr relevant for a huge part of the season there was expectations coming into the year but he's finishing it off strong he eventually got in the end zone last week but he was nine for 94 and two touchdowns in this one both of those guys were kind of in the the top 10 tight ends coming into the season kettle up there in the, the top five to six has this late season surge this is always the interesting part for me with the late season kind of bounce backs or surges and how then we you know rank that and decide with drafting and 2023 how to to bracket all that what what's your thoughts on those tight ends who is truly bouncing back and who is you know a mirage here
2: well I mean George Kittle is not a mirage whether or not he'll be able to take this kind of performance and make it par for the course again is a little bit different story I think that the quarterback change has launched him which I think is fantastic. You also have the absence of Debo Samuel. So you're opening up a few targets. In a lot of these situations where we see a guy be down for a long stretch and then go off, some of it is just that a player of George Kittle's level is going to eventually have that. And yet when you jump into his numbers in the Stealing Signals tool, for example, there wasn't a lot there to suggest, okay, this is a a fantastic buy low. It's a little bit more... That actually, the situation has changed significantly enough that, yeah, you're going to have more scoring, but it's not going to get back to that level. One of the things that I mentioned in last week's articles is that you have this stretch from 2018 to 2019, where Kittle averages 18.9 tight end premium points per game. So you're getting 19 points per game in tight end premium leagues. That was just below Travis Kelsey, who was at 20.4. I mean, that's still a meaningful gap, but those guys are up at the top. They are this tier by themselves, Travis Kelsey, four years older, and Kittle actually had better numbers in terms of weighted opportunity. Now, we know that the 49ers versus the Chiefs are not going to be two teams where that metric is particularly useful because on the one side, you have Patrick Mahomes and this very large pie. On the 49ers side, you have this revolving door of quarterbacks and a much smaller pie most of the time. Well, so you have things going in kittle's favor and yet it's not a surprise that kelsey would stay ahead of him what was a surprise is that over the next three years kelsey has gapped him by almost six points per game again in that tight end premium scoring you've got the target depth falling when we look at this year you've got then as a result some of the yards after contact numbers or yards after the catch numbers falling These last couple of weeks, though, he's looked like himself. He's looked like this guy who's basically Travis Kelsey with speed. And, I mean, there's really nobody in the NFL you prefer to have the ball in their hands when he's at 100% than Kittle. And this is a situation, too, where you kind of go back to the beginning of the season where he starts the year with the groin injury, misses a couple games, comes out, plays, and plays all right. But, I mean, he's not George Kittle. You also wonder how much of that was a nagging kind of thing. And when... He really got to 100% because these very top players are able to play and play effectively when they're not 100%. We know that as you move through an NFL season, very few players are actually playing at 100%. But if you get closer to that, then especially for the stars, you start to get the separation and it does matter. And so it's exciting to see him look good. As you mentioned, I mean, Brock Purdy not doing anything astonishing he doesn't have what you might call a fantastic game in this one and yet even with that he averages over 10 yards per attempt he throws a couple of touchdowns they have some other plays they could have potentially made he's doing without Debo Samuel in this one Christian McCaffrey only catches two passes I mean, this is a team that's firing on all cylinders, and now the play-calling genius of Kyle Shanahan is starting to come into play as well. You have a 71-yard touchdown run from Ray Ray McLeod. They actually do let McCaffrey score at the end to kind of save his fantasy day a little bit. They're able to force Heineke out of the game. I mean, you know that the season has really gone pear-shaped for the Commanders when they're back to Carson Wentz, and he is jumping into a game. This creates an interesting situation, too for the nfc playoffs if we pull up the 538 playoff projection tool you're now seeing a bunch of teams in competition for this last spot with the giants losing on the 61 yard vehicle to the vikings they've dropped to eight six and one the lions lose to the panthers they go back below 500 the commanders losing are back exactly to 500 with that tie, where they're seven seven and one. You have the Seahawks still holding in there with their loss, go to seven and eight. Their schedule finally opens up a bit. Although if they don't actually get Mike White next week, then the Jets game becomes more difficult. They have the Rams in Week 18, which you know 48 hours ago might have looked like a very soft game. Now I think you have to contend again with Sean McVay and what a fantastic coach he is. Starting to get a little more cohesive, even though they don't have any real talent there. A team that's a little more ready to play, I think it's going to take Tyler Higby out, make you go to the receivers. That'll make it a little bit more of a challenge. But the Seahawks' path now, which if they could have gotten the upset of the Chiefs, they were non competitive in that game, unfortunately, they'd be in great shape. They're fighting for a, a final spot. And then you look at the Packers, they've moved up to seven and eight and to an extent you could say control their own destiny they have the vikings that'll be an interesting game and then they finish out with the detroit lions both of those games at home if they win both they jump to a 90 percent likelihood of making the playoffs this is a lot of fun to go through colin you and i have talked about it on both of our underdog gauntlet shows but trying to figure out who you can put at the end of those drafts rounds eight nine and ten That's a question that goes a long way to unlocking your first round advance. You're probably not counting on the players from those rounds to be in your Super Bowl lineup, but you have to be able to get there. And from that perspective, I just, I think this is endlessly fascinating. And even though the teams that actually make the playoffs are probably not going to be that good. And there are going to be all these arguments about whether or not they deserve to be there, especially when you consider that the AFC South champion is going to be in. It's still fantastic from a reality viewer perspective where you have all of these teams fighting down the stretch we're going to have that in the afc as well 2022 for the first 10 or so weeks i feel didn't offer a great product it wasn't a ton of fun compared to previous season it's still the nfl obviously we're very excited about that portion of it but even this past week where you again have some teams that are bordering on the completely and totally incompetent you could argue that maybe there's some karmic value with what's going on there in Cleveland. You have Amari Cooper get wide open for the tying touchdown late. And I mean, you can criticize Amari Cooper, but I mean, he's playing in the ice and snow. You see his feet go out from under him. And by the time that he's able to kind of figure out where his body is again, I mean, he's completely uncovered and it's a perfect pass in the end zone and it bounces off of his chest. But it's hard to catch those passes in the chest when your feet are sliding super quick. I mean, think about the t- times you've fallen down in the driveway, right? Imagine trying to catch a, a touchdown pass as you're falling down in the driveway. It all happens pretty quickly. The Browns lose that sort of hilarious game to the Saints where we get Taysom Hill. Call them. I mean, this was a week for the hybrid non-quarterback quarterback. Where we get Streveler for the Jets and Taysom Hill for the Saints as the only two guys that can move those offenses. Anyway, you have some of these games in the
1: felt like at times we were getting like creator player uh, people playing in the NFL this week. People wondering yes. who these guys even were.
2: Well, some very Frankenstein video game-ish types of profiles. In I think that that's fun. I mean, it would have been great if we could have gotten a little bit stronger performance from Trace McSorley because he's another guy with great athleticism. You're almost hoping that that maybe will unlock some portions of the Arizona Cardinals offense.
1: Spoiler <laughs> alert: the, It didn't.
2: The, the Sunday I unlocked James
1: Connor a bit, but
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe not the best. So we have these weather games. If you're playing in the elements, that can be tricky. You also had some shootouts on the indoor side or the warm weather side that were fantastic, and the drama, the narratives. All of these storylines that we get to deal with the fantasy scoring i mean it's it's tough right because you continue to have injuries we certainly have plenty of of sympathy for people who lost jalen hurts and you think about i mean, look through the best ball teams even the ones that have made it and they've got some star players on there i mean our team has Brees hall there are other teams that have you know guys like javante williams and you're thinking to yourself well as i'm going for the big prize here if i had a javante williams well i mean who knows the denver broncos haven't been a great scoring environment but you have that, and yet the big picture is that Christmas and the holiday season, we got some fantastic games, and, and I don't think we could ask for too much more.
1: Yeah, the, the last six weeks were definitely much more enjoyable than the first 10, I think, in terms of uh, the excitement you have week one, week two, the bounce backs might happen and that, and then the scoring stayed low, 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 low. But We have had some really, really good weeks. That three of the last four weeks I've enjoyed a lot, and you're always going to enjoy it more – when your teams are putting up points but um you know when the nfl teams are putting up points there's more likely that that's going to reflect in, in your scoring lineups sean you mentioned the good environments we're going to get to some of those in a second but the the commander's game was a little bit weird where you mentioned the quarterback change but we do get terry mclaurin jahan dodson and curtis samuel all getting touchdowns both mclaurin and uh jahan dodson getting 77 and 76 yards respectively and then We get Curtis Samuel with 52 yards. So a really weird environment where the quarterbacks get switched, but they're still receiving production there. But there's just so many questions around the the Washington Commanders. I think that's something that we're going to have to continue to dig into in the offseason to see how things shake out there. I think there could be a number of different moving pieces to have. Well, and Dotson had another long catch that was wiped out by penalty. This is a team, when you look at
2: that trio – that you just mentioned, where they had a real quarterback. You're starting to talk about an offense, maybe not quite to the extent of the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, those guys are just absolute stars. But the Washington Commanders have an embarrassment of riches at the skill positions. The fact that they're not one of the higher-scoring teams in football, again, is an indictment of the quarterback play.
1: Yeah, and I, I think one of the like I feel like they've overachieved, and I feel like they're going to come back to the pack. But I think the reason they have overachieved is because some of those players are legitimately special talents, like Dotson. We've seen him make big plays. McLaurin, somebody I've always liked as a player, even though I wasn't drafting him this year that much based on the situation in Washington with the, the quarterbacks. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see if they do make some moves here at quarterback and and don't try and you know maybe go for the veteran like Carson Wentz and, and trade what they did to to get that to happen. The other one that you mentioned was the, the Chiefs and the Seahawks. A little bit of a weird game. I, I Nothing major of note for me in this to to really dive into other than the Seahawks struggled outside off DK Metcalf and that one. But the one I wanted to get to was the Buffalo Bills. You mentioned some of the blocking earlier for the, the Panthers. The big takeaway in this was the the run game really ran all over the Chicago Bears. They have 254 combined rushing attempts, three rushing touchdowns. One of those going to Devin Singletary, one of them going to James Cook, one of them going to Josh Allen, both Singletary and Cook. Well, Cook didn't hit the 100 yards rushing, but 99 for him, 106 for Singletary. So they pretty much just destroyed the the Bears on the ground. And that was a game where they were going to have to do that based on the, the weather conditions, um, you know, 119 yards passing for Justin Fields, 172 yards for Josh Allen. So a tough fantasy scoring day there in general, outside to the running back position. But the game, Sean, that you mentioned being indoors and didn't have the points total, maybe some people were hoping for, but it, it still produced a lot of fantasy goodness. That was the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Giants. The Giants losing this one, as you mentioned, the other thing i wanted to touch on there that you were mentioned about the excitement for this last couple of weeks for the the fantasy playoffs and the, the wild card spots obviously the nfl added the extra spot last, i believe it was last season that came in but for a team like the packers in the old format would have been done and dusted and because of the extra game and because of the extra team it kind of gives you that little bit of fight so it, it makes it interesting with these playoff predicaments this is exactly what the nfl would have been hoping for when they, they made that choice but This was one Sean Kirk Cousins 299 yards passing three touchdowns but the concentration of targets is something we talk about (laughs) we mentioned it with the Philadelphia Eagles earlier but in this one we get 16 targets for Justin Jefferson we get 16 targets for Hawkinson and then Adam Thielen is the next closest with five targets those guys both over 100 yards 12 receptions 133 receiving yards one touchdown for justin jefferson hawkinson 13 for 109 and two touchdowns a monster day for him since the trade happened sean he is getting the second highest target share behind justin jefferson second highest points per game behind justin jefferson that is no no shame to be behind justin jefferson he has been superbly productive over that stretch now with the minnesota vikings and we we obviously drafted a lot of hawkinson heading into the season and we weren't expecting him to be with the Vikings, but it's it's working out quite well since that switch happened. The other side of things, the concentration was high as well. Richie James gets 12 targets. Isaiah Hodgins gets 11. Saquon Barkley gets 10 receiving. Eight of those were for 49 yards. Barkley also has 84 rushing yards and one touchdown uh, in this game. But looking at it, obviously we get Jefferson on pace to be one of the best NFL wide receivers of all time, leading – most categories through this portion of his career so far Hawkinson huge leap in production as I mentioned over the last couple of weeks thoughts on those two guys I think it's probably we've probably said it all before Sean on, on those two particular players but my question on the other side is is there anything at all long term with Richie James or Isaiah Hodgson's I, I would imagine not with James but Hodgson's has had, had some interest in EMC recently
2: yeah Hodgins looks very good and you start to get to the point where you're drawing this number of targets, you're scoring some touchdowns, you're helping your team really move the ball. And you consider what Daniel Jones is doing. He, for me, is probably the most interesting quarterback for the offseason because if the Giants fully commit to him, make him the centerpiece, put some weapons around him, then he's going to be one of these interesting guys where long-term He's going to start giving you 22, 23, 24 points per game. And probably at least in the early portion of that, maybe the, even the first three years, but I would definitely think the first couple of years is still going to be priced as though he's Daniel Jones with all the risks inherent in that. And so a potential league winner for you and someone capable of spike games that are really interesting. I mean, you have a game here where he throws 42 times over 330 yards, gets a passing touchdown. He rushes for 34 yards. And he's doing it where his targets are exactly to those guys that you mentioned. Now, I think the Hodgins can stick around as a third, fourth receiver type of option. They have Londell Robinson, who hopefully will give them that sort of underneath and after the catch threat, assuming that his rehab goes okay. There's a lot to still happen before he's able to play successfully again. But I would argue that even though they used a pretty early pick on Robinson, and that was one of the... You know, questions about that selection. Obviously, you had a game this last week where Tyquan Thornton fails to make a long catch that would have really helped the Patriots. Then he has a play at the end of the game where really not his fault the ball under thrown. You can see what he's doing, an interesting guy, but you tend to have that comparison of Pickens to Thornton to Pierce to Sky Moore because those guys all go, in a little group there but ahead of them is Robinson he needs to be a guy based on how the Giants see their offense developing and what they invested in him who comes back and makes a contribution I think you need to add two guys right I mean you need two playmakers ahead of this for this offense to really work and they're going to hope that Daniel Bellinger can develop he's someone who wasn't a big time prospect but has really good athleticism and has flashed at times for them now he does in many ways lose the game for him his fumble a crucial critical moment in the game when the game swings but if you add two guys onto this team and you say well I mean that if you add two stars to almost any team it's going to help the quarterback and that's true and especially the teams who haven't done any of that they need to do it it's one of the reasons why we have the have-nots out there but I love what Daniel Jones is doing It'll be interesting to see if they don't commit to him, if somebody else does, and if he gets the support there. I mean, one of the things that you get with a Carson Wentz, for example, is he does get to move to some different teams who have playmakers. You get Daniel Jones onto a team like that, a team like you know, Washington, for example. We don't expect that to happen, obviously. But the, I, just, I still think the sky is the limit for him. You mentioned on the Minnesota side. We'll get to that a little bit more when we discuss our Superflex team, Jefferson, Hawkinson, both on there. I think the thing that jumped out to me this week is that I still kind of struggle to understand that trade from the Lions' perspective. This is a game in part because they get behind and way behind early, and so it's going to be much more of a passing script. You have a game here where Jamal Williams, thankfully for all of us, only carries the ball seven times, but he gains 11 yards. Again, you take those seven plays out, give them to DeAndre Smith, give them to DeAndre Swift, just add seven more attempts for jerry goff and get him to 50. But he throws for 355 yards throws three touchdowns he again doesn't throw a pick a couple of sacks only despite this script jerry goff doing a lot of very very positive things and they do have some guys out there again dj chark starting to emerge now as he gets further away from the injuries that limited him a little bit in the midseason you have on i'm with a solid game despite Sort of an underperformance for 13 targets. You get those 13 targets as a fantasy manager, you're you're hoping for more than the 76 yards. But, I mean, you're having to go to Khalif Raymond, to Josh Reynolds, to the no-name tight ends. Jamison Williams, not there yet. We've watched him get open for a deep touchdown, for a deep touchdown miss. I mean, that was really the worst pass of the season last week when Goff missed him for the touchdown But he's not ready to really contribute, only gets the one target in this one. If you add a TJ Hawkinson back onto this team, then not only are they blitzing toward the playoffs, but the long-term future is set in a way that is just just—I mean, so perfect. You have yourself, again, the overall contribution from a Hawkinson, especially when you consider things like the blocking, he's an all-around tight end, but not the level of a Kittle or a Kelsey. But if you can take someone in that next tier, if you can get yourself a Goddard, A player of that level it rounds out your offense in such a beautiful way I think it was a mistake to trade him especially again because they didn't get that much
1: and especially when you look at how it has evolved since that was a portion we talked a few weeks ago about the the winning run that the Lions had been on obviously the the trade it wasn't looking at that point like they were heading towards the playoffs and now what they would give to to have him in there to try and help them push them over the line here and make that little bit of a not a maybe not a playoff run in the playoffs but to get in there would be a, a big achievement for the, the Detroit Lions based on how they have been in the, the last decade or so Sean two games to go to speaking of the playoffs and I'm going to jump in here the Packers are now seven and eight on the season they win 26-20 against the Miami Dolphins this was a game where I thought Packers like we talked last week about the playoff possibilities I, I did not really think that they were going to win this game you know in my realistic brain my fan brain wanted me to uh, say that like in my heart they were going to win this one but it didn't look for a majority of this game like they were going to win they have big kickoff return which they can't capitalize on go for a, a field goal but as this game goes along the miami dolphins are kind of uh, playing really good football playing passing attempts they're, they're making big chunks in the run game very similar to what you mentioned earlier with the panthers they are just gashing through this packers defense on that opening drive gets to a situation here where i believe it was 12 pass attempts maybe that uh the two i had but at that point he had uh you know over 200 yards he was cruising in this game they were cruising we get a game where tyree kill has four catches 103 yards we get Jalen waddle five for 143 and a touchdown and one of those been a 84 yard touchdown um the second score of the game for the dolphins but then all of a sudden this game changed. So we don't really get anything from a fantasy perspective from the Packers at all. Christian Watson goes out injured in this game. We'll see how if he's healthy for this upcoming week. But Tua turns the ball over three times later in the game. They have a fumble as well from Raheem Mostert. And the Packers end up coming away here with a victory in a game that probably they, they should not have won and it did not look like they were going to win halfway through. The big story here, though, was Jalen Waddle and how fantastic he looked in this game. But it was like the tap turned off, Sean in this one it's it's 20 to 13 at the half and even heading into halftime it looked like it potentially was gonna be 27 to 10 based before the the first turnover here for the the Miami Dolphins so Packers win no points at all for the Dolphins in the second half they have turned into a little bit of a a Jekyll and Hyde team at at times this season and for a team that looked to be coasting towards the the playoffs and you know challenging the Bills for that division they are now eight and seven on the season the big thing to, to check here I guess is Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill again a bit like we mentioned with the Vikings both fantastic but surprising that as good as they done in this game you know they combined for those nine receptions 246 yards and a touchdown they they only get 12 targets so uh, the game plan obviously switched in, and two in that second half really struggled with those those three interceptions
2: he did and actually just with a blitzkrieg offense there you're expecting them to be able to keep it going
1: And the other note to say is this is a package defense that I mentioned on a few shows recently. They have not been able to stop teams, particularly on third down. And the way that first half was going, it just baffled me that they put up no points in the second half.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, two averages almost twice as many yards per attempt as Aaron Rodgers. When you have all of those explosive plays, you're able to score, score fast. And, I mean, perhaps it encourages you to be a little more aggressive than – You really should be. This is a a quick strike offense. One of the things with Tua is that he gets rid of the ball very, very quickly. The time to throw among the league leaders. You can see that his pre-snap reads and his early anticipation is fantastic. It's one of the reasons why he gets the ball out to the guys and lets them catch and then run after the catch to make some of these big gains. I mean, you have a game here where Waddle and Tyreek Hill, they both average over 25 yards per reception. Some of the downside of that is if you make that early decision, you release the ball almost as the play is snapped. If you make a mistake, there's not that much you can do about it. I mean, you're not waiting, waiting, waiting for guys to come open. The difference between watching Tua play and Ro- watching Russell Wilson play, who simply will not take the open guys early in the routes, night and day. And they're going to be strengths and weaknesses to both. The Dolphins now are going through a time period where defenses have adjusted to what they want to do. You're even talking about halftime adjustments in this one where they're able to take away these guys with some of the elite secondary players that the Green Bay Packers do field long term. This is still going to just be an avalanche of fantasy points for the Dolphins. You look to the future where Tua is going to be next year or Waddle is going to be. Now that he is a little bit more removed again from the leg injury, we see the electric ability from him. Catches five of his six targets. The only one doesn't catch again is that sort of a contested catch play where he doesn't come down with it. He struggled with that all season, and yet one of the reasons to be aware of that type of thing but not overemphasize it is you have to understand the profile of the player. Jalen Waddell, I mean, you can say, well, if he could make contested catches, he'd be up there with Justin Jefferson, and you'd have a 25-point-per-game guy. He's still going to be a clear-cut wide receiver one, even with that element not in his game. But yeah, this is a, a huge win for the Packers, especially when you consider that a lot of things did go wrong in the passing game. Christian Watson getting open at will in the first half has a touchdown and falls down on the play. So that, unfortunately, if you needed a few more Christian Watson points... They're not He they also had a, a,
1: a real uh, overthrow by Rodgers on a, a deep pass on fourth down, where it would have been a, I think it would have been a, like a 46 yard touchdown, but bad throw by Rodgers there when he was wide open. You have a similar
2: situation with Alan Lazard, where he's open on a couple plays and Rodgers gets the ball to him late, shows some frustration. He catches only five of his 11 targets. He is the focal point in this offense when Watson is out. You had Romeo Dobbs come back, catch three of his six targets, and have some both good and bad moments. In the game, there you don't really have either of the running backs involved in the receiving game in this one, as we've had recently. A frustrating performance, I think, for Aaron Jones too. When you think about his athleticism, explosiveness, the big place he's been able to make to lose some really high value touches to AJ Dillon to be out carried eleven to six, not get that goal line score. Dillon managers happy with this one. Aaron Jones fans disappointed but it's a huge reality win for the Green Bay Packers, and I do think that that final playoff spot is going to come down to Packers-Lions in Week 18. There'll be plenty to still be interested in once the fantasy season is over. Similarly, on the Miami side, they continue to lose, and yet their playoff odds remain very solid. Even if they lose next week at the Patriots, and the Patriots undergoing quite a bit of adversity, and yet even with the loss, I think they have to be, really pretty excited about the comeback and the chance to win. I mean, they had the Bengals there if Ramondre Stevenson doesn't fumble at the end. And I mean, the Bengals right now are the best team in football. So from that perspective, they've got to be encouraged. They get the home game against the Dolphins, a huge game for those two teams. Even if the Dolphins lose, if they win the following week against the Jets, who are in this quarterback nightmarish landscape, they should be in. Their playoff odds would jump back to 80 plus percent in that scenario. So, when you're looking at some of these contests that are early playoff contests and might fill before people really know exactly how those final playoff spots are going to be portioned out, Dolphins, a team to be looking at, and their team to be looking at, obviously, the Los Angeles Chargers who will play tonight.
1: Yeah, so Sean mentioned there, um, the Patriots, they do not score in the first half. They do come back in the second half. It's 22 to zip at halftime. No points for the Cincinnati Bengals in the second half. A bit like a, a flip of the script, and it finishes up 22-18. So the the fumble there at the end, costing the Patriots a potential chance to, to go in and win. And it kind of almost was a, a similar flip script of their game with the Raiders the week before, in which... Both teams decided to score in different halves, but um interesting result. We are going to talk to about T Higgins because he is part of that Superflex team on the Superflex show later this week. Uh, a really highlight touchdown catch in this one where there's a like a deflected ball for the touchdown on a, a deep pass from Mac Jones, but nothing else of huge talking points. I guess Trenton Irwin has two touchdowns in this game on three receptions for 45 yards, but not somebody I'm assuming is in a huge amount of lineups out there. And the- nearly has a third yeah and there is, a third and uh pretty pretty incredible game from him uh from that perspective but sean you also mentioned the Aaron jones note there uh, jones did come into this game banged up and i think that that injury is a little bit more maybe than the the team and he is letting on he did have to to get some treatment during this one before coming back in so we'll see his status ahead of this upcoming week as well but i teased it there we are going to be back for more shows this week we'll we'll have our regular three podcasts we'll check back in for the Tuesday edition as it drops. This one obviously a little bit later than normal with the holidays. We will be dropping those podcasts throughout the week. Until we are back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime and Rhodeviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotaviz at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast.